welcome to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome to Bible Feed podcast. My name is Lawrence. Um, This time we've got a bit of a theme study, a bit of a word study. Um, We're going to consider a a biblical concept and we're going to think about heaven today. Where is it? What is it? And what did the biblical writers mean by heaven? And I'm here with Paul today. Great to be here. It's a significant occasion for the podcast because it's the first one since we started uh, back in July 2020 for us to uh, record two people in the same room. So I could reach out and touch Lawrence, but then I'd have to sanitise my hands. So I won't. Yeah, we've run out of tests. So uh, we won't attempt that. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about heaven. What have you got to say introductory-wise around this topic? Yeah, well, I remember thinking about this when I was a a small boy. Long time ago. It's a long time ago. Yeah, when I wasn't thinking about football. um, And I was looking up at the sky and I just, you know, these kind of questions occur to you. And you look up at the magnificence of the clouds or the stars. And you you think, am I looking at heaven? Is that heaven up there? And is God up there somewhere looking back at me and if I look in a particular direction am I looking at God am I staring at him being quite rude uh, without realizing it and you know those kind of things maybe I was just slightly unusual yeah you you came awake again when the ball was hit at you and you, <laughs> and you realized that you should really be paying attention on the football yeah. game uh, but okay that's uh, that's uh, very deep for a, for a small boy to be thinking about such a deep concept so well done for that um, but as we're here today talking about it what, where do we start we've got our Bibles in front of us we want to have a look at a biblical view of this and we want to look at um what really what was in the minds of of um the writers at the time and what did the people thousands of years ago think about that concept uh, of heaven so where do we start yeah and, and i guess we can we can start from the beginning heaven occurs in the very first verse very first phrase of the bible in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and in the old testament in the hebrew old testament it's the hebrew sign uh, which is translated uh, heavens and then in that first chapter of genesis um in verse six for example we have god said let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters and god made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so and god called the expanse heaven now that's that's the sky essentially so mm-hmm. so the basic meaning of heaven right from that from the beginning is is the sky and uh, you know what you see when you look up and uh, in as you move forward in Genesis chapter 7 you have the flood and the windows of heaven open and the rain falls you know so that in a metaphorical sense is you know heaven up there is where the rain comes from in a meteorological sense mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so and and Isaiah also talks about you know the, the rain and snow coming coming from heaven so so that's you know that's it's the short answer. The short answer. Shortest podcast ever. The sky. Okay, so we've probably got a bit, a bit more of the Bible to consider when looking at this, this topic. So let's link this uh, with with God now, because there are several passages which not only are talking about the the physical location, this kind of the heavens um, and where the rain comes from, etc., but they're linking it with where God lives. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's you know why why do you kind of instinctively link heaven with where God is 
where God lives, if that's the right phrase to, to use. And, I, you know, I suspect that that's what ancient ancient people did, something a little bit like what I did standing in the middle of a football field looking at, at the sky in, in wonder. And, you know, up there in the sky, it looks amazing. There's a sense of something that's bigger than yourself and uh, and that you're insignificant in the grand scheme of things. It's full of wonder, light, stars, and so on. And there's a real sense as you look up into the sky that there's a lot out there that you can't see that is out of sight for, for humans, mm -hmm. if you like. And so, so it's quite easy to make the conceptual jump and conceive of that as the, as the place where God might be, as God's dwelling place. And so, so, so because of the, the, the way the sky appears as a sort of phenomenon that we experience, heaven becomes a way of expressing the, the transcendence of God, that God is above all, sees all, and, and that those sort of, sort of ideas. And I suppose there's two aspects to that. I mean, if you look at cultures around the world, you often find them expressing worship through finding natural phenomena and attaching mm -hmm. significance to them. Uh, and then the other part is that in, in Scripture, we read regularly of, of God being a God that can't be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and no man hath looked on him, etc. So, yeah. um, if that's the case, where do you look at? Where do you sort of attribute this yeah. God to be? It's a place that you can't really see. It's like beyond the clouds, you know, up in a yeah, um, in the sky. So, and actually, in the difference between Israelite understanding of of their God and the nations around them, and the way they understood their gods is is distinctly different in that sense. Because the the nations around them, the polytheistic religions around Israel, thought of their gods as part of the natural world. So there was a god of the sea, a god mm -hmm. of the mountains, a god of the the, the, the crops and fertility and so on, and uh, and. and you know, whether those things were cooperating with human existence kind of told you whether those gods were happy or not. And, and that, that's distinctly different from the Israelite and what then becomes the Judeo Christian God, uh, which is, you know, God is the, is outside of all of that. And nature is, the whole of nature is, is under his, his purview and his, his control. And it's, it's perhaps useful to look at a couple of passages as we just start to develop how the concept of heaven gets used. We have a look in Isaiah chapter 40, first of all. Can we read a verse there? Uh, so, yeah, it's just verse 22. Yeah, so Isaiah 40, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Yeah, so... And I think this actually comes just after the verse that talks about all the nations being like a drop in a bucket. Yeah, verse 15. Um, is, yeah. So, so there's the sense of God is, is, is above everything, is able to see everything. And this concept of, you know, you can see from a great height, people like little grasshoppers, but, but also that, uh, it's a place of his dwelling, stretches out the heavens like a curtain, like a tent to dwell in. So that's, that's fine. We kind of gone from heaven as the sky, place where rain and snow comes from to place that sort of expresses the, the transcendence of God being above all. The next verse that we'll look at adds a couple of uh, really interesting uh, concepts into the mix. So let's go and have a look at that. That's in Psalm 11. Psalm 11 verse 4. So Psalm 11 verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Okay, so there's, there's some, it's building on what we've seen. His, mm. his eyes see, he sees everything. And human beings conceiving of that as being you know, high up uh, over everything, seeing everything. But then there's, there's two really important concepts in there, which is about the temple mm. and the throne. So God being in, in heaven is in his holy temple. 
and mm. on a throne. So there's concepts of rulership, yeah. oversight, control, um, but also holiness. And, you know, so this is start, starting to get to heaven as the place where God's characteristics are, are reverenced, where he is worshipped, his will is upheld and done, mm. and, and the place of his dwelling, the place of his rest. Yeah. And, that those that, that phraseology and that what you just explained there, this kind of place where he's reverence, place where he's, he's the throne is. Uh, it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer and the way in which mm. in the Lord's Prayer it says, "Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." So it's like this this place, yeah. heaven, which is where this will is actually being done, yeah. which you could correlate with this, you know, holy temple, the throne of heaven. So God's God's characteristics are being revered uh, in that location yeah and i think that i think that's really important and it, and it would assume jesus in giving that uh, example prayer is 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 picking up on exactly that why don't we have a look at it actually okay. in um in matthew chapter six towards the beginning of matthew chapter six i think uh, is part of the sermon on the mount yeah there's a lot in this we uh, we looked at this with uh, dan and there's a huge amount yeah. in this this right in the middle of these chapters of the sermon on the mount all this instruction to the, the disciples how to follow how to behave yeah should i just read Few verses yeah, so, so yeah, it's just nine, yeah. nine to thirteen, isn't it? Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it starts off, Our Father in heaven. So, so all of that that we've seen from the Old Testament so far is is there as you know heaven as God's the Father's dwelling place, place of rest, uh, where He is hallowed. His holiness is um, is maintained. His temple. Kind of language, but then has this contrast, doesn't it, between earth and heaven? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you're an appeal for God's will to be done on earth as it is as it is done in heaven. So you know, there's a recognition that there's there's stuff happening on earth, mm. which is you know where human beings are, are active and involved, um, and God's will is not being done. It's not, and so it kind of begs the question: Well, has there ever been a time or a place where God and man have been at one and God's will has been done in that mm. in that sense? Well, I mean, you could go right to the beginning when God comments on his creation, how it was good. And there's yeah. that kind of idea yeah. of, of everything being good. And obviously where he originally is described as putting man and what's well, so Adam and Eve into a garden, Garden of Eden. And you get a comment there about yeah. um, humans walking with God together. Don't yeah, you? yeah. I, I, actually, that's that's a really, a really good example, which we can build on that. creation of seven days or six days plus the day of you know, when God rested and that sort of means God took up his dwelling place in, in what he had made and then the picture of the garden with humans walking together in, in this garden paradise, this picture of unity um, between God and humanity, between heaven and earth, if you like, the two have united. And, and the creation almost constructed like God's dwelling place, a temple, there's an example of that, referred to it quickly in Psalm 132, where the, the temple in Jerusalem is spoken about in these in these sense, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. So where, where God, God rested mm. on the seventh day, rested in creation, it's like his, in the temple, uh, that he, the thing that he had made. But then, obviously, the story mm. doesn't take long. Quickly, uh, quickly degenerates from there, and there's a human decision to walk in a different way, which separates 
that unity of um, of God and, and humanity and heaven and earth um, and expelled from the garden and then human life and human existence is characterized by sin corruption and darkness and difficulty and hardship and, and all those things yeah and it's a it's a really you don't have to go too many chapters into the beginning of, of, of the bible for things to go real really bad really quickly and it's like there's been a problem a disconnect now between god and man isn't there it's like no longer yeah. is it possible for them to kind of be in that same location there's been there's been something that's been shut down between them but it's interesting that you know <laughs> the bible doesn't end there all on in, in the, in it's, the job, really. it's a good job really because there's there's plenty more of it but it kind of opens up a, some hope right at the end of uh, chapter 3 uh, he drove the men out of the east of the garden of Eden and placed the cherubim a flaming sword and turned every which way to guard the way of the tree of life and so that's like opening the fact that it's going to be guarded the way yeah. into this tree of life and that's what the rest of the Bible is all about yeah so symbolically God hasn't hasn't just left okay yeah. that's it that's yeah. the end um, and given up on uh, on human beings Not there's not complete so in fact this really interesting so it says I think there it says he placed cherubim he did um, at mm. the uh, at the east of the of the garden yeah and this this word placed is very similar to the word for tabernacle yeah. so it's uh, it's it's start it's connecting some of these ideas God has you know yes God that yeah. was his resting place if you like yeah. um, and the place where he was dwelling but now there's just the there's still a foothold there mm. if you like um, and and we can follow that now through in in the in the temple concepts that that flow through the Old Testament and if we just spend a bit of time in uh, in the first book of Kings, where Solomon builds the temple um, and look at some verses there. Because what we find is that uh, while there was this garden place where God and humanity were, were at one, heaven and earth was were united, the the temple, the description of the temple is like a little recreation of that garden. Um, right. And, okay. and so we, we can't really read through all the verses, but if you, if you have a look in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 4, 15 onwards, he describes the inside of the temple, and there were boards of cedar that lined the inside of the temple, and they were carved um, with um, with flowers and trees. So you imagine standing inside that, it would smell of wood, because it's cedar wood does smell, does smell particularly yeah. good. And, and you'd have all these carvings, um, maybe paintings, I don't know, of trees and flowers and and it's like it's like you're in a garden and it's it's deliberately i think designed to evoke the the garden of eden kind of situation there's the cherubim in the on the ark with its four faces representing different aspects of creation there's even two pillars at the entrance to the temple that are that have leaves and fruit mm. and, and flowers uh, kind of carved into the into the tops of them the ornate thing two trees um you know again yeah. seems to <laughs> seems seems to link yeah. with uh, with the garden of eden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life but then when we come on to when the temple's all finished and it's all built and we get into chapter 8 of 1 kings um let's just read so solomon then that is a prayer and it starts off in verse 12 then solomon said the lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. That well, sounds like he thinks God is going to dwell in this, this building. But then a few verses later, verse 27, he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven.
heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry, to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house and the place which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place. So it's it's got all these representations of the Garden of Eden there. It's like there's, there's a little bit of heaven on mm. earth. Mm. We're not doing song titles yeah. <laughs> um, in, in this episode, but there's one in there somewhere. I think. Um, but Solomon is recognising the universe just can't contain God. But there's emphasis on this place, which represents where God and man can come to, where heaven and earth can come together, uh, as as was represented in that garden in Eden. Uh, has to be done in careful and very specific ways, but it's that concept is there of, of heaven on earth. Okay, so, so let's summarise where we've got to so far then. So um, we have, we've looked at the kind of the physical aspects of heaven and there is there is mention of mm-hmm. those physical aspects of heaven, the place where the clouds are, the rain comes from, etc, etc. But very quickly in scripture, we move to this being a place where God dwells and we see a, a link time and time again about um, the temple being this dwelling place where the throne is. We saw that in Psalms. And we saw that linking back to that first temple almost, which is mm. the Garden of Eden, uh, with all that fruitfulness mm. and the, and everything being beautiful. And we start to see that coming out in these temples which are made, probably the tabernacle, because the tabernacle had similar uh, imagery. Yeah. And then in the temple with that, with the imagery of, of the flowers, the carving, the trees, etc. And the reference here that Solomon makes very explicitly about, look, this is a place for you to dwell, but can you dwell here? Like, you know, you can't be contained by the heavens, mm-hmm. you know, this massive space, you know. Um, and so uh, how is that possible? And that's really how we're going to probably develop this this yeah. story, okay? So we've been um, in the Old Testament a lot here. We've made a, a little reference to, to the Lord's Prayer. But how do we take this story from this idea of the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, etc.? How do we take that into the New Testament? Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a similar word in the in the Greek New Testament. Um, it's uh, uranos, and uh, it's pretty much an equivalent to the Hebrew samim. It's it's used when the Hebrew is translated into into Greek. Uranos is the word that's used to translate uh, samim, and and it it appears to be the same kind of concept and understood in the same sort of way as um, as this kind of physical meaning of sky, but but also this. Um, way of referring to, to, to God's omnipresence and, and, and transcendent existence. So in uh, Acts chapter 17, for example, uh, when Paul is talking to uh, people in Athens, he says in verse 24, and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So that's really similar to, mm-hmm. to what Solomon was was saying. It's almost it. answering that question, isn't it, yeah. that, that Solomon makes in, in that phrase. Yeah. We, we get another reference to heaven, a really important reference to heaven in Acts while we're here. It's right at the beginning of Acts, isn't it, when we see that yeah. passage uh, when and it described Jesus Jesus' ascension. Uh, let's just read a couple of the verses from that. So in uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 is, uh, is really interesting uh, for lots of different reasons. It's when um, the, the disciples are being taught uh, the kingdom of God and the, and the aspects of the kingdom of God by Jesus after his resurrection. But then we have this little section starting. Let's go at uh, verse 9, where it says, um, And when he had said these things, this is having spoken about whether or not the kingdom of of, of Israel was going to be established now. Um, he says, um, he answers that question and he says, And when they uh, he said these things, as he was looking at 
He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing um, into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white uh, robes and said, Men of Galilee, why stand ye looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's like, can't get too many more mentions yeah. of heaven in yeah. those few verses. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting little little passage, isn't it? Because, um, you know, Jesus had spent some time with his disciples uh, after his resurrection, talking to them, and clearly from the things that his apostles and, and disciples said after he he left them, they were under no illusions that they had seen him alive after after he'd been crucified and believed that they suffered for it, they died for it, and I don't think they were lying when <laughs> when they said they'd seen Jesus alive again. And 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 yet here here he's disappearing from their sight. Now what it was like to be there and how exactly he disappeared, I'm, I'm not sure. We don't know. But the way it's described is really significant because it says he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And I think that phrase is is absolutely deliberate uh, to pick up on some ideas from again from the Old Testament from Daniel chapter mm. seven, where there is one like the Son of Man, uh, a representative of the human race. Well, it starts off actually in Daniel. It, it portrays God as the Ancient of Days, and there are thrones. There's more than one throne. So God's throne is in heaven, uh, but in Daniel seven, there's more than one throne. And then there's this one like the Son of Man, a representative of humanity, who is exalted to to sit uh, with the Ancient of Days in that. In that mm. vision. And that's exactly what this phrase is designed. This is designed to say Jesus is that one, the Son of Man, who is uh, is being exalted to be with God, to be in heaven, you know, with everything that goes with us, this being in God's presence, the state of being accepted mm -hmm. um, into God's throne space, if you like, yeah. where his will is done. Yeah. I'm reading quite a lot into a, yeah. a short phrase there. So, so essentially, um, it's not so significant, the physicality of, of what, what's mm. happening to Jesus here, because, you know, we have other situations, don't we, in the Bible where it just doesn't describe, you know, we've got Elijah, we've got um, Enoch, and, yeah. you know, we don't know where they went. It uses strange language about where they went, but that's not necessarily what is, mm. what, you know, the most important aspect of this. Uh, what you're saying is that link with the clouds, the fact that he went into the clouds, and that he's going to come back in the same way. Yeah. And that phrase about coming in the clouds, again, is something that we yeah. see, you know, a number of times. Which um, we'll probably see towards the end. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it's much more about, okay, Jesus being exalted to the one to sit yeah, on, on the throne with his father yeah. and being accepted in God's presence, doing God's will. And, you know, that's the, the significance of that, that description and that event. And that's and that's great for Jesus. Okay, yeah. um, he seems that that that's a really major event that's happened to him. The righteousness that he demonstrated, uh, he's been resurrected, and he's you know in front of his disciples went up into the clouds. But it doesn't sound like you know we've done many studies on this. Um, doesn't sound like that's our sort mm. of destiny. That's not really what the hope of the gospel is talking about for us. And looking at the Lord's Prayer and other things, it seems that the aim is for something to happen on the earth mm -hmm. and, and not in heaven. So let's work out how does this all come together? How does this all then, then affect us? Yeah. So so having developed the idea of heaven a little bit and now Jesus being the, the Son of Man who, who is exalted in that way, I think it's really useful just to see how that 
thought process just develops and, and unfolds in one of the letters of Paul. And we use the letters to the Ephesians mm-hmm. um, as an example. It just seems as though in this letter, Paul refers to the heavens or the heavenly places quite a number of times. I think it appears nine times in six chapters, which is quite a high proportion, I think. Yeah. And so if we're looking at Ephesians chapter one, first of all, you know, it starts out in verse three. It says there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, so he's talking to people living in Ephesus and, and they were you know, followers of Jesus and the Jesus community in Ephesus. And he's talking about them. You've received great blessings in heavenly places in the heavens. So it's not very clear what that means just yet. But if we just carry on and and look on down to verse 9 and, and 10, so um, making known in verse 9 to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So it's bringing back together mm-hmm. things, uh, uniting heaven and earth. That's the that's the plan. That's the purpose uh, in the fullness of time, in the outworking of it. So, again, it's not entirely clear what, what's going on here. But we'll carry on into uh, towards the end of chapter 1, um, and I think verse 20, uh, we have... According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we've, we've seen that about yeah. Jesus already. And then we get into chapter two and in verse six. Yeah, do you want me to read that? Go on then. So, um, two verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's a remarkable chain of ideas mm. there, isn't there, of, of Jesus being the one that is exalted to the right hand of God and being raised up to sit in, in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places, but then saying that because of God's love to human beings, even though they were still in that kind of sinful state, when it's so dead in our trespasses, mm. has provided a way for normal human beings people living in Ephesus uh, to be raised up and and in a sense seated with Jesus in the heavenlies in the heavens and actually if we if we just carry on in chapter 2 to verse 17 and then read to the end of the chapter it says he came Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access as Jew and Gentile both have access to one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So oh, hello. See how yeah, it's all coming those, together. All those ideas yeah. um, come together. But it's not It's not this you know, physical building with cedar boards with pictures of trees and flowers on. It, it's, it's people who are being described here as, as raised up to heavenly places and becoming a, a dwelling, a place where God rests. A place where, in difficult circumstances sometimes, heaven and earth come together. God and man come together in this group of people in Ephesus yeah. that, uh, that follow Jesus. And then, so this this phrase, and what you were saying is that the heavenly places that crop up here is all kind of the same same word in, in the original, and the kind of idea permeates those 
those first few chapters. But it's also, I think, used in a, that phrase is also used in a slightly different way in chapter 3, verse 10, when it says, so 3, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made uh, known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what that seems to be talking about is there's going to be knowledge of God, the gospel, etc., known by um, the rulers and authorities who happen to be in heavenly places. Mm. So, so what does that mean yeah. in the context of... Ah, that's, a, that's, a really, that's a really good point, yeah. because so... So that's, that's the threat, you know, rulers and authorities, governors in the Roman Empire at the time, or presidents, prime ministers, whatever, they are in the heavenly places. And it's, some versions translate that, even though it's the same Greek word as heavenly places, translate it as high places. And it's almost like saying the powers that be. Mm-hmm. So it's a similar meaning to, uh, when we talk about heavenly places in, in Christ, exalted. But it's, it's, different because it's being applied to rulers and, and authorities. And it's interesting that the rulers and authorities might be portrayed in that way uh, by, by Paul in writing to the Ephesians, because it was the case and has been the case in different times in history where rulers and authorities have definitely put themselves in the place of God or have claimed to be ruling on the behalf of, of God. They're not the genuine authority. They're not genuinely divine authorities. You know, In fact, there's a, a little reference to that, which I'll just, um, just make in second of Thessalonians, um, which says that uh, the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So some rulers and authorities take that authority mm-hmm. on themselves. It's not, it isn't divinely sanctioned or given or genuine. And so so what there are Jesus believers uh, trying to live their lives in a heavenly way, and create their little bit of godliness and heavenliness on earth, as it were, but in an environment where where human society is ruled by authorities and people that mm. are pretending to um, to be the heavenlies. So, so in a sense, at the, be- at the beginning of Ephesians here, we're seeing uh, the way in which um, believers can be elevated to a position or associating with the real gospel message that can put them into heavenly places. Mm. And that same message is going to be given to people who today think they are mm. in this position of, yeah. you know, elevated authority, etc. Godlike, you know, like the Roman um, emperors, they used to make themselves yeah. to be gods, to be worshipping. It's not only Roman, but other other civilizations yeah. did as well. Um, and uh, people reading this letter would have been in that society, wouldn't they? They yeah. would have completely understood yeah. that whole concept. And- and completely got that, yeah. that talking about being in heavenly places is not about being in some location that's off the earth somewhere. It's they were in Ephesus. It's more, much more about the relationship with God through Jesus mm. that they have and their desire, albeit in imperfection, to do the will of God, to be where you know God's will is done. Okay, so and I suppose being in that position, a bit like a render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things to God, the things that are God. Yeah. That kind of whole um, position of saying, well, actually there is a higher authority to this thing that you think is a God would have really put them in potentially a difficult position, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah, and there, were, and there were, it was very much the case in the first century, particularly towards the end of the first century, that the Roman emperors were establishing themselves as, as gods to be worshipped um, and, uh, and setting themselves up in that way and as a way of controlling, uniting the empire. And uh, you know, Christians, obviously, in worshipping the one God and reverencing Jesus, didn't do that and so attracted some persecution mm-hmm. as a result of that. But consoled by the concept that by giving their allegiance to Jesus, they were in the true heavenly places yeah, yeah. Um, in, in Jesus um, and with God. So, where does that leave us? Um, 
Shall we kind of take this through to the, uh, to the the climax um, and the um, the conclusion of it, which um, which we'll go to Revelation for. So if we go to Revelation and chapter twenty one, uh, we have what's described in very uh, symbolic language. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And we saw I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And uh, and as it goes on to, to describe the one on the throne. And and it's so you can see that the purpose, the, the ultimate outworking, the plan, the purpose in Ephesians was the uniting of heaven and earth. And mm. that's exactly what's what's described here. But it's, it's happening with this thing coming down out of heaven so that God will dwell with people, and uh, and that happens through the through the return, the reappearance of Jesus, as we saw yeah. in Acts chapter one, yeah. uh, returning. So so there it all kind of comes together, and even though we can see the concept of being in the heavenlies applying to people now on earth, and we can try and create our little bit of heaven on earth by trying to do God's will now, that's a really imperfect state. Um, but ultimately, the goal of the biblical story, the narrative, is for a much more complete coming together of heaven and earth, uh, God and humanity, in, in Jesus' return to the yeah. earth and resurrection. And- so, so we've got this kind of temple theme that runs, and we've looked at sort of being synonymous almost with heaven, this dwelling place that, that we've seen right the way from Genesis, right from the Garden of Eden, the temple, Solomon saying this is imperfect. And then you get into the New Testament and we get a new temple which is starting to be ascribed, which is being made with hands, which is these these people following the gospel, yeah. etc. And they've and they are um, associating and looking towards things heavenly. So they're wanting to be um, associated with things heavenly. And that's when you get those phrases in Ephesians. And all of these passages look forward to a time when that's going to be realized. That's actually going to happen. Yeah. So the time when Jesus would come out of the heavens, the time when they would dwell, as we saw in Ephesians, as we saw here in, in Revelation as well. So that's really the, the the way in which the Bible is using mm. heaven as a concept yeah. of bringing together the will and purpose and worship of God and earth. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's, I mean, we've touched on, inevitably you do, you try and follow one concept through and you touch off and branch mm. onto other things and we've kind of poked at other mm other areas uh, as well but I mean, maybe it's just helpful just to kind of wrap it up by well, there's one or two verses in Philippians which I think kind of summarise everything <laughs> that we've said and um, yeah so it's in, it's in Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 yeah so Philippians 3 then going in at verse 20 and it says but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Yeah, so there it is. So our citizenship is in heaven. So even though heaven, the sky, is used as a way of describing the all-seeing, transcendent nature of of God, God dwelling in heaven is much more about the relationship that people can have with him through Jesus, our citizenship, where we belong, the rules that we follow, if you like, are governed by heaven, where God's will is, is done. But here we are on earth trying to do that. But that's just an imperfect state, which will be brought to a culmination in the appearance of the Saviour, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Transformation of bodies to uh, immortality by resurrection, by the power that's been demonstrated in, in Jesus himself. All wrapped up in Philippians 3. So really the 
the kind of call to action for us is to is to uh, try and do as Ephesians says and look to things heavenly. Mm-hmm. That's really what we can do now. So thank you very much, Paul, for taking us through that topic. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to us. And please join in the conversation as well. We are at uh, Bible feed.org so come to our website and also on facebook and instagram at bible feed online thank you very much thank you lawrence you've been listening to the bible feed podcast thanks for joining us we're always keen to hear what you think hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss so get in touch with us on our facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey Mm